I want to start with a bit of a confession, uh, which is that I'm really not a morning person. Early in our marriage, Karis and I would share a drive to work together, and she was very excited about this. I was not. Because for her, it was a great chance to spend some time together, to talk and, and have some fun before we went our separate ways for most of the day. And it was all going well until one Monday she was chatting and I suddenly turned to her and I said, why are you so cheerful? <laughs> uh, it wasn't my finest moment as a husband, but in my defense, I'd only been a husband for about three weeks. Um, but genuinely, the reason that she's a morning person and I'm not is Karis is one of those people that her head hits the pillow and she is out like a light. And I lie awake for what often feels like hours alone with my own thoughts. Sometimes I think about little things like, what am I going to have for breakfast the next day? Sometimes I think about bigger things like, is this the season that Arsenal finally sustain a title challenge <laughs> and win the Premier League? Uh, and other times I think about really big things like, what am I doing with my life? Am I wasting my time? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Am I using my limited hours on this earth for the right things? I don't know if you've ever pondered similar things or if I'm just a little bit weird. But when I was growing up, I had a couple of Christian books uh, and they were called Ten Boys and Ten Girls Who Changed the World. And it wasn't long before reading these books, I really wanted to make it 11. Uh, I really wanted to live in such a way that the author had to do a new edition and expand 11 boys who changed the world. Some of that was kind of a selfish dream of glory, but there was also something much more wholesome because reading these books and reading about people like uh, Nicky Cruz and Billy Graham, Corey Ten Boom, uh, Catherine Booth. Reading their stories filled me with this belief, even at a very young age, that God could take ordinary people just like me and do <coughs> extraordinary things that genuinely change the world. I think one of the reasons that I have been lying awake recently is because I've been asking myself, I've grown up now, and have I lost some of that belief that I can change the world? And I've been asking myself, has my faith slipped into a pattern where it's more about sustaining myself than transforming the world for other people? You'll be relieved to hear that this message isn't just going to be an examination of my own existential angst. Um, I have a counsellor for that. Uh, but the passage we've just heard uh, Nick read really well is so powerful and challenging that before I start to unpack it this morning, I wanted to share a little bit about what God has been uh, doing in me and the questions that I've been asking myself because they've really affected how the Holy Spirit has brought this to life for me during the week. 
The first thing I'd like to make really clear is that Jesus' teaching in chapter 25 uh, can't be separated from the larger discussion he's having with his disciples. It's actually a, a conversation that begins in Matthew 24, where Jesus first prophesies about the destruction of the Jewish temple. Um, And by the way, that prophecy came true. The Romans destroyed the temple and much of Jerusalem just 30 years later. Um, But then Jesus moves on to talk about his coming return after he's died and been resurrected. And I don't intend to explore everything Jesus says about the conditions and what needs to happen before he comes back today. And I also don't intend to look at Uh, what will happen when he does come back in a lot of detail. Partly because they're massive topics that I can't fit into half an hour. Uh, And mainly because it's just not the message that God has put on my heart today. And I want to be really open about that. But there are just three key things that Jesus says in chapter 24 that I think it's really important to remember as we go on to talk about chapter 25. Those three things are, Jesus is going to return. Amen. Mm. Amen. When that happens, we'll know it. Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone says to you, I've come back and I'm in the desert or the wilderness, don't believe them. Because when I come back, it's going to be so obvious that no one's going to need to tell you. The second thing that Jesus says to his disciples, is that none of us will know when he's coming. So don't waste your time speculating or trying to predict. In fact, Jesus is pretty clear. He'd much rather we spent our time doing other better things than trying to predict when he's going to come back. Anyone who claims that they know is either deceiving themselves, you, or both. And the third thing that we're going to talk about today is that Jesus wants his followers to be ready when he comes back, which sets the scene beautifully for chapter 25, as Jesus gives three pieces of teaching that illustrate for everyone who believes in him what it looks like to be ready and why this readiness is so important. All three sections, we first got the parable of the bridesmaids, then the parable of the talents, and then the passage we just heard, the teaching on the sheep and the goats. All three of them make clear that there's a very real consequence to Jesus coming back. He's not coming back just to simply see how things are getting on and check in on us, uh, because he already knows how things are going. When Jesus returns, he's coming in real consequence. He's coming as a groom to get married, as a master to settle his business and put things in order, and ultimately as a king to reign and sit in judgment and dispense justice for all people. I had a really challenging conversation with God recently Um, which makes it sound much more dramatic than it was. But it all started with me having a bit of a moan. 
most of you will probably know by now because I send all the emails. Um, I am the church administrator. I think anyone who's ever done admin at any point in their private or professional lives will know that admin can sometimes be a bit tedious and rather frustrating. And I was in the middle of a particularly frustrating admin task when I had a meeting with a colleague and we were having a moan and we said, wouldn't it just be easier if Jesus came back tomorrow and then we never had to worry about this admin ever again? which was very funny, we, we chuckled, we went on with our days. The issue is I then sat down to talk to God later in prayer and uh, I was suddenly reminded of this conversation and what I'd said. Now I must admit that often when I sit down to pray my mind wanders a little bit so initially I thought I was just being distracted and I tried to refocus on what I'd sat down to pray about but I couldn't shake the memory of that conversation. And it was really quickly followed by another question, which was, do you know what you're asking for? Is that really what you want? And something within me shifted in that moment because, and please don't throw things, I, I realized in that moment that if I'm being honest, I don't want Jesus to return tomorrow. And it's not because I don't want him to return, I really do. And it's not because I'm so attached to how life is right now, because I'm not. It's really not about me at all. And it's amazing how God was already talking to me then, without me knowing it, about what he wanted to talk to all of us about today. Because what I realized is that I'd spoken very flippantly about an event with very real significance and very real consequences. Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46 make it really clear that all roads lead to us standing or probably kneeling uh, before a reigning and ruling King Jesus. Whoever we are, Whatever we do in our life, it all ends in the same place. It all ends in submission to the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's really easy to read what Jesus says about the sheep and the goats in this passage and to focus only on our own status. And to say, well, I just need to make sure that I'm a sheep and it'll all be fine. But the truth is that that really isn't the kind of attitude that Jesus is looking for in his followers. The parable of the talents which comes before this uh, story makes that really clear. In this story, a master goes away and he gives three of his servants a, a sum of money to look after <laughs> in his absence. And as we read on, um, we discover very clearly that Jesus is saying that the grace we've been given and the forgiveness we've received and the gospel that we've heard is not just for keeping to ourselves, to keep safe, hold tightly and bury underground. Instead, everything we're given and everything we've received from God 
is for investing beyond ourselves, growing and multiplying, so that when the master returns, he finds much more than he left. The reality is that you can't invest money by keeping it to yourself. I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. In fact, we read in the parable that the master rebukes the servant at the end saying, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. The king doesn't want us to be people who take what we've been given and sit around waiting for the boss to come home. <coughs> he wants us to be life changers and world transformers and hope carriers. And all of those things mean going out rather than staying in. But that's scary and it's risky. It requires exposing ourselves and leaving the comfort of our own home and our own safe environments. It can expose us to mockery, rejection, lost relationships, insults, and unfortunately, even in some parts of this world, persecution and death. But Jesus is really clear that that's what it looks like to live in readiness for his return. We're not supposed to just receive forgiveness and stop there. We're not supposed to just hear the gospel, accept it for ourselves, and leave it at that. We're called to be so, so much more. The new Bible commentary puts it really beautifully by saying that the readiness Jesus expects is that we are not to be in passive waiting, but rather in getting on with the job and making the most of the opportunities entrusted to us. I just want to read that again. Jesus doesn't want you to be in passive waiting for his return, but rather to get on with the job and make the most of the opportunities that he has entrusted to you. It's easy, especially in times when the message we've been given to carry feels more and more unwelcome, and when the risk to ourselves is rising, to play it safe and focus on ourselves and just getting myself to the end. But that's really not the kind of followers <coughs> that Jesus has asked us to be. Fortunately, he also provides an encouragement within the parable that I just want to highlight today. You see, three servants, two of them invest the money, one of them buries it. Both of the servants who invested the money, who put it at more risk, were left with more to their credit at the end of the story than at the beginning. Whatever we're given, when we genuinely try and use it for God, we will never end with less than we started. We'll never be left empty-handed because in his eyes, using it is going to leave us in more credit than we were. Neither of them were left in trouble when the master came home. And the second thing I'd just like to highlight is that we as humans often get kind of stuck in the numbers. 
So it's easy to think that the servant who was given five and made five more has done a better job than the servant who was given two and only made two more because five is bigger than two. But actually, the master's words to both servants are exactly the same. He says to them both, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. God cares much more about having a faithful heart than a high numerical return. He cares much more about you trying to take the opportunities he's entrusted you with than how that actually turns out. Isn't it amazing that our wonderful God doesn't ask us to do more than we can handle? He doesn't actually expect the impossible out of us. He just asks us to be faithful with what he has already given us. And um, it's also easy to look at the servant who was only given one talent and go, well, that's not a lot to work with. I don't know about you, but I often can find myself identifying with that servant and going, well, I've not been given a lot, (laughs) so what do you really expect of me? But the reality is that a talent would have been at the time the equivalent to about 20 years' wages. A talent is a massive amount of money. A talent of silver today would be worth thousands of pounds. A talent of gold, hundreds of thousands, if not, depending on the exchange rate, millions. That servant was entrusted with more than he would ever have seen at any other point in his life. And for us, even when we feel like we've only been given a little, God has given us more than we could possibly imagine or achieve on our own. And the incredible thing about God is that often when you start to faithfully serve him, you discover that you were capable of more through him than you ever thought possible before. Every single person in this room was beautifully and wonderfully made. You know, I want to go further. Every single person in this room is a masterpiece of the Creator King who lovingly put you together, and God doesn't make mistakes. So if you are you, that is who you are meant to be, and who you are is so precious to Him. And so actually, all He's asking you to do is discover who He made you to be, and that's an incredible journey to go on. If you feel like you've only been given a little, God wants to show you just how much that talent is worth in reality. Which brings us back to the sheep and the goats. Because Jesus' words in verses 33 to 36 reinforce that being one of the king's people doesn't just mean wearing the right badge, It means living the right kind of life. To be clear, and Pauline illustrated this really brilliantly, uh, if you missed last week, I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to it this week. Um, Because Pauline spoke really brilliantly about the fact that all of us are saved and forgiven entirely by the grace of God. It's a gift that he has purchased for us with his blood 
We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And there is nothing we can ever do to make God love us more or less. And there is nothing we can ever do to get rid of that grace once we've received it. Because it's all reliant on him and not on us. So what Jesus says in this passage isn't about saying, you've got to earn your place in my kingdom. It's about saying, once you've received what I have given you, please don't stop there. Go forward. Live the life that I'm calling you to live. We aren't meant to just receive grace and then be in a holding pattern. That would be pretty boring, right? We're called to pursue our master's will, to live in relationship with him, and follow the commands he's given us. Are we happy to be people who take what we're given, bury it in the ground, and leave it there? Or do we want to be people who take what we're given and seek to give it to other people too, so that they can experience the goodness of God for themselves? That means feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, clothing those who don't have any, sending shoeboxes to countries where people wouldn't have anything like that normally. All these things are ways in which we say, Lord, you've given us much, and now we're going to invest it for you. I said earlier that I'd realized that I... I don't want Jesus to return tomorrow. And the reason for that is that this passage makes really clear that there will be some people when Jesus returns who are left unready. And there is a consequence to that. And I know there are so many people in this world that I love and I care about who are not ready yet. And if Jesus comes back tomorrow, they will be found unready. And so for me, as someone who wants to be ready, who has received the gift, I want to go out and share it while I can. Because the reality is that not only could Jesus come back tomorrow, he could come back this afternoon. I might not get to the end of this sermon. Some of you will be relieved. (laughs) Jesus could come back right now. And the question I've been asking myself as I lie awake and as I prepare for today is, am I living my life in a way that every interaction I have with someone, I'm living as if it could be my last with them? Every time I speak to someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, Am I having that conversation as if it's my last opportunity to let them know about Jesus? Because it really could be. I was at a conference last year. I can't remember the speaker. Um, I didn't put their name in my notes, which is very bad of me. Uh, But they remarked that the one thing, they'd come to a realization that the one thing they can do better on earth than in heaven is tell people who don't know who Jesus is about him. And so every day they wake up and they're on earth and not in heaven, 
they were going to prioritize the one thing they could do better now than then. And I'd like to add a little bit to that because I think all the things that Jesus mentions in this passage in Matthew 25 are also things that you can do now that you won't do then. (coughs) You can feed the hungry now and make a difference, but in heaven, no one's going to be hungry. No one's going to be in pain in heaven. No one's going to be thirsty in heaven. No one's going to be alone in heaven. And no one's going to be imprisoned in heaven and need visiting. So all those things are things you can do now to help people that they won't need from you in the future. We have the opportunity to do incredible things now that when Jesus returns, we'll never get the chance to do again. The things he's asking us to do are the things that are for right now. So again, I've been asking myself, am I devoting my time right now to the things that need to be done right now because I can't do later? Ultimately, today is just a starting point in a bigger conversation we're going to be having over the next uh, few weeks and maybe months because uh, we're going to be transitioning into kind of talking a lot more about what it means to proclaim the kingdom of God. To not just be people who are in the kingdom of God, but people who tell other people and show other people (coughs) the way to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, That's going to happen at our church weekend, but it's going to be a lot more besides that. And I'd really encourage you to come along with us. Because we aren't just called to be people who sit in the kingdom ourselves. We're called to be people who carry the gospel out. Who take it with us wherever we go. And so if there's one thing right here and right now that I'd love for you to take away from today, it's this. You and I can change the world. The king's people... And the King's Church Chesham, through the power of God, can change the world. None of us are too ordinary to change the world. Sometimes it will be in big ways. Sometimes it will be in really little ways. But honestly, really little things change the world. As an example just want to be open. Many of you will probably already know I was really poorly over August this year. Uh, I was in a really dark place and a lot of people in this church supported me in that time. <coughs> Some people sent me a text. Others dropped around a card. <coughs> in Martin's case, it was often a cucumber from his garden and very good they were too. <coughs> Many people... I know simply prayed for me in their own time and faithfully served me in that way and never said a word about it. And I'm hugely grateful to all of you because the reality is that every single person who did one of those things changed my world in that time. Because I was in a dark place and every person who did one of those things just shined a little bit of light into that darkness. 
And because in those moments when my world needed changing, those people helped change my world, I'm here now and I'm still going and I might go and change the world for other people in little ways. We can all change the world for each other. Simply by asking God, what have you entrusted to me today? I don't think anyone got up and went, I'm going to change the world today by giving Josh a cucumber. (laughs) But genuinely, just doing what they did changed my world. It's risky. It might hurt sometimes. We could go to places that make us feel really uncomfortable. But the reality is that the gospel is always worth it. And seeing just one person who didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus is worth more than anything else in life. And we can do all that knowing that at the end of the day, what it's all about is hearing Jesus say to us as we kneel before him, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. It's closed, just you might want to close your eyes and reflect. If the band could come up, that would be lovely. Sorry, you guys don't get to reflect. Do it later. It's closed by asking ourselves, am I ready for the king to come again? Perhaps you're here and as you heard that passage earlier, you realize that you're really not prepared at all. But you'd like to be. Well, the good news is that the grace and forgiveness of God are available for you today and tomorrow and forever. All you have to do is come before him, recognize him as your king, acknowledge all the ways that you've not got it right, that you've not served him, and ask for his forgiveness. You can do that on your own, Or I'd encourage you, if you'd like to talk to someone else, you can come and speak to me or Nick or have some other people at the front later. But for others, just quietly ask yourself, what has the king entrusted to me today? What has he poured into me that I can invest for his glory? The answer might come right to your mind. It might need a little bit longer. You might want to talk to some trusted friends or discuss it in your home group. But God has made you wonderfully. And he has entrusted you with something. So just ask him today to make clear to you what that is. And then to fill you with faith and confidence that through him you will see mountains move Lives transform and the world change with the joyful expectation of the time to come 
when we will all see him face to face. Mm -hmm.